0: Welcome back to the podcast, Saul Marquez is here and today I have the privilege of hosting Christopher Kennedy. He currently serves as the president of Elexel Therapeutics, based in Kansas City. He's recognized for his entrepreneurial efforts in pioneering innovative health solutions. Christopher has spent the last two decades in leadership roles Within the biomedical uh, biotechnology med device, healthcare provider, and specialty pharmacy sectors, he actively serves on multiple industry advisory boards and leadership councils, including the Missouri Biotechnology Association, URAC, NASP, and the Kauffman Foundation Skilled KC Initiative. Most recently, Christopher was presented with the 2018 American Telemedicine Association President's Award for innovation for his efforts in developing a virtual care solution for the rare disease patients. He was also invited to a Massachusetts Institute of Technology Hacking Medicine Competition, where his new healthcare design was selected as an award winner by venture investment experts. Excited to dive into a conversation with Christopher on pharmaceuticals, where are we going with them, and opportunities within the space to do things differently. So with that introduction, I want to welcome Christopher. And uh, Chris, if you can, uh, say hi and, and fill in any of the blanks of the intro that maybe I may have missed that you want to educate the listeners on.
1: Great. Well, thank you for hosting this morning, and I I look forward to a a really good discussion. Yes. so exciting time for us here in Kansas City, as you mentioned. Uh, Our office is actually at the Bioscience and Technology Center that's um, housed on Kansas uh, University's Medical Center campus here in Kansas City, Kansas. So this area is essentially set up perfectly for a collaborative organization like ourselves. We're really trying to pull in -in best-in-class researchers, best-in-class practices when it comes to the laboratories themselves, the clinical work, et cetera. And so we feel like we're kind of in a hub here in Kansas City, even though sometimes we don't think of the Midwest of being a hub of innovation. Uh, things are changing here in Kansas City. So I'm excited to represent
0: the, the Elix Cell Therapeutics specifically, but then the greater community as well. Well, I think it's awesome. And Christopher, the work that is happening outside of those traditionally thought of focal centers like San Francisco or Boston or where a lot of the efforts seem to be happening. There's more happening in in the flyover states and being in Chicago, a lot happening here that maybe doesn't always hit the radar. So I'm glad you're plugging in the word for your neck of the woods in KC. So what exactly inspires your work in healthcare?
1: Yeah, so, and and just before we move on to that question, so I'll just kind of highlight what you just mentioned there. Um, Interestingly enough, we have 13 patents and our IP actually comes from the Stowers Institute, which is based here in Kansas City. And before I moved to the area, I also was not as aware of all the great technologies that have come out. Of this particular geography. But the Stowers Institute, for for listeners that aren't familiar with it, is a global research institute. It's a 600,000 square foot facility here in Kansas City. And uh, this is one of the first licensed, out-licensed technologies that has come out of there that Elixal Therapeutics has the privilege of, of working on. But yeah, t- to your point as well, I mean, I grew up in the Chicago area, also another great hub of innovation. And ironically, on this project that I'm working with, there's actually a Chicago footprint as well as a Kansas City footprint. So yeah, Nice. More than ever, am I waving represent. the Midwest flag? So, <laughs> love it, represent. Uh, but yeah, to, to your question about what inspires healthcare, I, I find it interesting when I think of your title. So, outcomes rocket. My career has been really focused on. Patient outcomes. And I, I love the term. I know that it's probably becoming more and more used, potentially overused in some regards now in the healthcare circle, but I love it because it really aligns with the scoreboard, right? Like a performance scoreboard, where are we at and where are we going? And Elix cell therapeutics was constructed on the premise of we can go further when it comes to stem cells, particularly the advanced stem cell sciences. And when I say stem cells from our perspective, I'm talking about hematopoietic stem cells, so adult stem cells versus the embryonic. Stem cells that are in the media today. And so HSCs are the focus for us because there is so much potential around the therapeutic side of what can be in the future in a lot of our uh, umbilical cord banks throughout, not just the U.S., but worldwide. And so outcomes are clearly our focus here as well as we feel that we can utilize uh, new technologies to really impact the patient at the bedside here in the near future.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting and appreciate that differentiation there. Christopher, what would you say the business is doing specifically to add value to the healthcare ecosystem, help us dive in deeper and understand what the value prop is.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a benefit to launching a company in 2020, to be frank, right, that we've been able to capitalize and maximize the opportunities that exist now. And you mentioned earlier in the intro, some of the work that I had done in the telemedicine virtual care space and never is that more important in today's, I think, clinical time, but also when it comes to clinical research. So we're a global organization and and we have ties to Asia, Europe, and then of course here in the U S but our researchers are really in a full term of collaborative uh, research together. And so, We've cut down, I think, a lot of the timeline that traditionally it has taken to get all the parties set up and ready to go when it comes, you know, for clinical work, for example, or just on a project in general. And working with academic institutions, large research institutions, like the University of Chicago or Kansas, you know, University of Kansas, and being able to transition IP out and then get the research up and running has really been something that we focused on early on. And successfully, I feel that we are implementing that. And the proof point of that, right, the outcome of what I just mentioned would be our scientific advisory board so traditionally in my experience the scientific advisory board for big pharma, small pharma, biotech, med device and all of those spaces is very critical in the direction an organization takes but just on our scientific advisory board we've got 6 globally world-renowned research academic-type uh, individuals who, I think in years past, without the you know the advent of some of our current technologies, would have taken a lot longer to get together and working on the same project. So institutions like Penn, Yale, we have uh, University of Chicago involved, University of Indiana, researchers from University of Kansas that I mentioned earlier, Stowers Institute, all sitting on our advisory board. And it allows for us to cut down the time it takes potentially to have a novel concept or an idea and then test it out in the laboratory to actually test it in our early clinical phase to see if it's viable or not. And then to get feedback from a global perspective from the SAB, the Scientific Advisory Board, has been instrumental so that right now
0: we know the two paths they're on have the best chance to reach their outcome at the end for patients. Love it. So if you think about... What makes what you and the company does different and better than what's available today? What is it?
1: So let's talk about the technology, right? I think that, that lends us to that aspect of this HSC stem cell topic is big. And there's essentially what I feel some sort of a race going on for getting a technology into the marketplace that allows us to really recognize all of the stem cell Opportunities within umbilical cords themselves, right? So, just as as a layman that I was entering into this project, really understanding uh, the DNA, mRNA aspect of of how uh, life is working, and uncovering the researchers that we have the privilege to interact with on our team, published a really important, and I would and I would definitely classify this as a, as a breakthrough. Paper And this was specific to, in cell research, the suppression of M6A reader, which is the YTHDF2 that we're focused on underneath this category of an M6A reader. And an M6A reader modulates essentially an an expression of group of mRNAs, right? So when we talk about DNA and the communication channels within cells there's a, a communication that happens that really is specific to stem cell fate determination. And what we've done is uncovered that with YTHDF2, Professor Linhang Lee and Xuan He both uncovered the fact that when you knock out YTHDF2, all of a sudden we start to see a really successful stem cell expansion. So one becomes two, two become three, and so on and so forth. And this stem cell expansion allows us to take potential umbilical cord banks that are out there today and really go ahead into the challenge of having limited cells that are available in these banks. So you have all these blood cord banks that are out there, but the issue is both uncovering the actual cells themselves, so how many cells are stored, right, within the blood cord, and then getting them so that we can have more of them, essentially. And what we're learning now with what's going on in our lab is how do we use this YTHDF2 knockout or blocking mechanism to then help those cells that we already have in a bank expand, and they'd be more therapeutically viable for diseases. Let's talk about oncology, for example, where Mm -hmm. one of our first uh, pipeline products is currently underway. Also, from an orthopedic application, when you think about cartilage regeneration. So stem cells themselves allow us to have the potential to really impact a really large number of different disease states. And I think we're just on the, the cutting edge of being able to recognize how powerful discoveries like this can be. And that's our big differentiation, Saul. And as you know, at my stage, being a part of an early stage biotech, we pivot often. So where we're starting right now, we've already moved a few places to the left or to the right to get Mm -hmm. to our early clinical work. But that's our differentiation today is definitely the publication that kind of expresses what we're doing under YTHDF2.
0: Interesting. And so appreciate you, you honing in on that. YTHDF two. And it's basically this isn't my specialty, but it's a protein, right? That basically encodes a gene and potentially is responsible for some of the diseases we're seeing, like cancer.
1: Well, so what, what, what we know is the setback for stem cell therapies today is it's hard to get the volume of the number of cells into in the uh, correct location okay. to potentially do their job. Yep. And because of that, the limitation, it's almost a self-limitation of, of pure numbers. The race is on to find out, well, how do we unlock the potential for those cells that we currently have banked to become more? And so uh-huh. when you block YTHDF2, there allows, you know, particularly in the the actual article that was published by Lin Heng Lee and uh, Xuan He, that led to more than a tenfold increase in the, in the ah. expansion. So, like you're looking, and then when you look at measuring inhibitors, no, you can't. <laughs> It is a, um, from a scientific terminology standpoint, it's an M6A reader, but there's a modulation aspect of that, right? Because these mRNAs, when you essentially modify or work with the actual mRNA reader, then the the results can happen like we're seeing in this clinical work. Now, we still have more, more work to do on this front, right? And so that's where our research is currently going on in the human element of things, but in the animal models, uh, it's really impressive. And so where we sit today versus where we'll sit even 12 to 18 months from now is exciting. And every day we're looking at uh, trends, right? And so I feel like, you know, again, back to our term of outcomes, that's the common language between laymen like ourselves that aren't, biochemist, right, or molecular biologist. And for us to hang in conversations with our backgrounds on more of the business side of healthcare, what we all can agree upon is what are the outcomes that we're looking for in the clinical work and what our objectives are overall. And so we've done that, I think, successfully uh, here at elixL in the early stages to kind of keep us on track. And also we've been very, very fortunate to sit on University of Kansas Medical Center's campus where we are working with, it's called IAMI if you're here locally, but Institute for Advancing Medical Innovation at KU, and this group is essentially a gold standard for what we've been talking about in this call so so far, and that is taking best-in-class practices and taking a true collaborative approach to getting something that was discovered in a laboratory, getting it through clinical trial work, and then really getting it out to patient bedside where it's driving these outcomes. So I think that's been refreshing for me to see not just like the theory of how do you launch a biotech company, but then to actually be in a place where these resources are already set up and it's really helping our trajectory.
0: What's uh, one of the biggest setbacks you've experienced, Christopher? And uh, what was the key learning out of it?
1: Sure. Uh, specific to Elixel, would you like me just to take this one from a, <laughs> from an
0: overall perspective? Your call. I mean, Elixel, you guys are early on, so maybe a broader perspective would be interesting?
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking
0: too, Saul. So, you yeah. know,
1: I think wherever I have been uh, within healthcare, there is that opportunity to really, I guess, champion something that's well worth doing, but you know you're going to face some obstacles in doing, right? So change is difficult in healthcare. I know that you've experienced this yourself from our previous conversations, but change oftentimes can lead to a tremendous impact for patients. And I think one of the things that I have seen consistently, whether I'm on in the biotech space or I'm in the healthcare provider space, it's taking these new and great technologies that are out there that have this, what looks like a a clear potential to really improve things, but then actually implementing them, right? So it's like the old strategy versus tactic Mm -hmm. (laughs) issue. And I feel like in healthcare, many times we are still struggling to get from the strategy or the whiteboard into actually actually implementing. And I saw that in the virtual care space, which you, you mentioned earlier. And I've seen it here in the clinical space as well. And that is, here's an idea. What are the steps that actually get us to try it out and see if it works before we scratch it or before we approve it? And you know, in the entrepreneurial space, we would call that the minimally viable product. We would call it some sort of pilot. But I definitely have gone through a number of times in which we were so slow to actually implement the basic element or a pilot, for example, that we either A, didn't pursue what could have led to a big breakthrough, or we did go into the pilot, but we didn't put all the resources in place to actually make that pilot successful. So one of my commitments I've made is really following what I learned with the American Telemed Association breakthrough win around virtual care for rare disease patients is even though, let's say, a big word like reimbursement isn't set up today, doesn't mean that it won't be there tomorrow. And some of the great virtual care leaders were seeing this charge happen, right, as we've seen a couple of significant mergers lately. And reimbursement as a key driver in healthcare for me has always been the thing that kind of delays true breakthrough in innovative technology. So I think that to answer your question a little more succinctly, that you have to be able to strategically find your vision that you then can implement, right, to actually make it become that that mission. And then you have to measure it, but you also really have to take a little bit of risk. And we can't be so risk averse in healthcare because we're focused on what the reimbursement model might be. And I mean, those stakes are very high, right, I sit today at Elecsell Therapeutics, because you're talking about early investment dollars, and we're very cognizant of that. And so, I think from my global perspective of healthcare, it is you have to be able to take a calculated risk. But you have to mitigate those risks by surrounding yourself with the right collaborative partners. And that's what we have successfully done so far, I think, in licensing technology out of the Stowers Institute, the University of Chicago, partnering with the University of Kansas and Iami, and then connecting like I mentioned earlier with a scientific advisory board who has that clear vision, who helps us formulate our mission and who isn 't afraid to take some risk and fall down and I think that 's more of a kind of a, a broad but also distinct answer to your question, and I think it 's applicable probably to a lot of the listeners
0: yeah, and no, I appreciate that and Reimbursement is a challenge. And if the reimbursement plan is not in place, it could definitely be an obstacle. And telemedicine is a great example of that. And things are evolving and it won't always stay the same and the timing is, is critical. Couldn't agree with you more. Christopher, what would you say you're most excited about today?
1: Well, yeah, hopefully my passion's coming through on this on this podcast regarding the pioneering breakthrough element of, of what I get to be a part of. And I'm very fortunate and blessed to even be in this opportunity. I I definitely didn't think even 12 months ago that I would Get to work so closely with global scientific leaders like this. And so it's amazing when you're with individuals that, from my perspective, think on an entirely different level that I have to just sprint and and run to catch up with. As you and I tried to talk through M6A readers, for example, and mRNA technology, to be around people like that is so inspiring. And it really is uplifting knowing that we are just, from their perspective, just starting to uncover. A lot of the potential that exists when it comes to hematopoietic stem cells, but then the overall category of science, right? So, as much as sometimes in the news and the media and social media. It seems like we've almost uncovered everything on some days, for my feeds anyway. When you're in these cutting-edge facilities to learn that we're really just starting to understand a lot of life itself, it's amazing. So I'm most excited to continue to be around folks in this atmosphere and this inspiring environment. And then I'm really excited about championing the Midwest, as you mentioned, as a true destination and to build off of what institutions like the Stowers Institute have done to say, listen, there There is great science on the coasts, but here in the Midwest is a great opportunity to invest in what I think is a true collaborative advantage where we're able to pull folks not just physically, but also virtually in and really compete towards outcomes, whether it's financial outcomes, patient outcomes, or just mission-oriented outcomes, we feel that we can compete here. And I think that there's something to be said to be a part of, of that as it continues to grow across the Midwest here.
0: Yeah, well, it's exciting, the power of stem cells to create therapies for various diseases and disorders. It's the beginning. And, and so the work being done at Elexel uh, Therapeutics is, is certainly uh, inspiring. And uh, there's a ton of diseases and disorders out there that could benefit from having this this focus. So what are you reading out there, Christopher, and anything that's inspiring your work on the business side of, of things?
1: Yeah, so the market is definitely watching, right? And I'm also fortunate enough that the chairman of our board here at Elixel and the, and the co-founder, uh, Frederick Zhang, spent his entire career in the actual investment world and managing a very successful fund manager and understands those complexities. So when we talk about uh, the scientific side of things, I think I've definitely highlighted the fact that we've assembled this really dynamic team around the science piece, on the investment side, and then also just the financial pro forma side, I've probably learned just as much on that front, working with someone that has been looking with the lens from the outside for so long. So we are in a space here specifically on the business front where when, and this is the perfect marriage, right? That when you win the race for improving patient outcomes, the business reward will follow. And I have definitely identified that for my personal career as a place that I love to be. So when you can be competitive clinically and and you're running towards a mission that helps a patient. And we all can relate to that patient experience, right? Because we're all patients. And when you when you get into a scenario where you're competing for a better patient outcome, and the financial rewards follow that, then for me personally, there's nothing more rewarding. But it's very hard to get out of healthcare, as you know, Saul, right? And, and the particular roles that you've had as well. Hard mm-hmm. to leave something like that when it's such a, a great marriage between the, those incentives. But we, we see there are there in the competitive space, we're one of a few that are working towards a similar mission. That being said, our mechanism, if you will, and what I've highlighted here regarding our scientific discovery and our 13 patents is unique and novel. So as we pursue this, we will see if we become one of the people at the top of the charts, which we're very confident that we will be. But there's definitely an eye in this space, and and you've seen this as well. But from a reading perspective, where most of my reading has been, is really in this what does the market look like in the blood cord banks, right? So there's over, and if you look at the numbers, they vary from journal to journal, but hundreds of thousands of umbilical cord units that are stored in 160 public banks in 36 different countries, right? So that's a, an overall number that's utilized no matter which journal you go to. So if you think about 700,000 units of anything and the ability to start to maximize and actually use those units, that to me seems like a legacy. So we've been storing umbilical cord units for years, but we truly haven't been able to therapeutically use them in all the places that can benefit. And I think you're going to see companies like Elixella Therapeutics and a number of others continue to really open our
0: eyes to what can be done with that potentiation there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. What book would you recommend to the listeners?
1: Oh man, that's a layup for me. So uh, those that, uh, <laughs> that, that I have already spent time with or any of the listeners that have met with me have probably heard me talk about James Allen. Are you familiar with James Allen? I am not. So in 1902-ish, I've done the research. He died at a young age. But around 1902, 1908, he wrote a book called As a Man Thanketh. And it is hands down, it's my quarterly go-to read. So whenever I get an opportunity to champion the book, I always do and it's a book that takes about 70 minutes to read all the way through but it was written back then and it's so appropriate today for men and women it should be uh, it could be rebranded very easily or retitled as a man or woman thinketh and it really talks about how we as humans are experienced and, and how really to maximize ourselves in a lot of these big missions that we're on and whether you're in healthcare or any other industry right we all know that we're working towards a specific legacy this book is a is a great Reflection point to sit back and say, "Wow, how do I really self-actualize and become the best version of myself that will ultimately lead to the best version of science in this case, or the best version in business and the best outcomes, right?" For for outcomes rocket. And so, Saul, I'll send you a copy as well. I actually have a book right here that I'm getting ready to send out to uh, another colleague. But that book would be a gift for anyone. So my favorite quote from there is essentially, and I it's I'm not perfect on my quote, but the fact that circumstances don't define the man, they reveal him to himself. So ponder that one if you're a listener, and you as well, saw like that one's a pain point for me. So it's not, you know, we find ourselves in these circumstances for you and I today, we're on this podcast. And then after this, we'll go into our workday and a lot of things will come our way. We'll be in different scenarios or circumstances and to really use those moments to reflect back on, to evaluate how we handled them and then to measure them and to truly do what clinicians do to unbiasedly look at the outcome and say, how could I have done
0: better? So anyway, that's my gift for the audience and hopefully for you as well. Uh, Great recommendation, Christopher. And as we wrap this one up, what closing thoughts would you give to us? And And what's the best place for listeners to get in touch if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much to somebody like yourself from an entrepreneurial standpoint and also from a trailblazing standpoint to go and create a podcast, focus on outcomes and different ways to get to these different things that we're measuring, I think, and having a chance to really get to know you and also the entire podcast series. I mean what a dynamic group of listening opportunities for us to have. So I you're on my on my iPad when I'm uh, rowing in the morning. know that Saul and, and thanks for your <laughs> thanks, efforts bro. there. So that's part of my closing thoughts but I I will tell you that we're more than open uh, to collaborations. And so we're not using that term from a marketing standpoint, but truly to bring together uh, some of the best and the brightest in on our website, elixelltherapeutics.com. So, or just elixell.com as well. So E-L-I-X-E-L-L.com. There's an area to connect with us and we're more than, more than willing to uh, meet with whoever might be interested to learn more about what we're doing. And you just never know where some partnerships and, and future collaborations can go. But I, again, I thank you for the opportunity to really explore what we're doing. And I
0: I really like your format. So also keep doing what you're doing out there. Hey, thanks so much, Christopher. It's definitely exciting to hear about the progress in stem cell research and what that could mean for all of us as far as outcomes. So I want to thank you again for your insights and, and the time here today. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast.